This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. calls for aid and Bragg shall answer that's right Bragg is gonna answer Bragg shall answer we're gonna answer we're gonna start answering any minute now welcome to the podcast I'm on Dean this is Light the Beacons Lotro podcast focusing on the frigid MMORPG Lord of the Rings Online as well as related topics in books, movies, gaming, and the lore of the master himself, Jorara Tokian. This is episode number 24, our very first 2015 predictions episode, and I am your host, Brag of the Lonely Mountain, hero of Pelargir and dwarf of ill repute. So we are coming to you live from the top of the stairs in Durin's threshold to signify new beginnings. I can see the long stairwell extending down to the initial camp we set up when we reclaimed Kazadum. There's banners hanging high overhead in the rafters, draping down over the ceiling. The flames of the forges are off to our right and the north glowing over the tops of the walls. And here it was that Gandalf said the Fellowship must face the long dark of Moria as we must now face the long winter season. Hopefully look forward to emerging in Lothlorien when June comes busting out all over with Osgiliath and other treats. So I had Grima install a screen door on the repaired portal here so we can catch a little breeze through the tunnels and clear the air. I swear I can still smell the watcher tentacles stank about, or maybe that's the bad elven sushi we had for dinner last night. I let Grima eat the fugu, but he's so pale and sweaty normally anyway, I can't even tell if he's sick. Um, It's been a few weeks since we're able to chat, Mostly due to elven shortcomings, but also partially due to the season and related travels. And suddenly, there is much news afoot. So let us hasten to our second beacon. Elenok. Well, first it's time for CRAP. Corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. I had a viewer chime in and... Listen, it's it's a new year. I want to start off on the right foot here. I want to make sure we are have our terminology straight. Uh, the problem is, Grime is not very good at this technology stuff, and, and I'm just a, a stone-carving dwarf. So I'm not really sure if you guys are viewers or not. It's debatable, uh, at least from my perspective. But I just want to set the record straight. For those of you who are viewers, I'm uh, holding up various uh, trinkets and uh, visual aids to the screen just to make sure. Um, So I had a viewer chime in on my abbreviation for this section of the podcast uh, when the light bulb finally went off for them. Uh, They should have realized this podcast is all about CRAP, so surprised you missed the reference previously. Uh, aside from that, uh, we had another viewer chime in with a website and grammar spelling issue on my uh, site, lightthebeacons.com. Want to appreciate the feedback. Dwarves are terrible spellers. 
that has since been corrected uh, and in process of doing so. I probably created seven or eight more issues. So proofread away. Um, when last we spoke, I was talking about rep-gated areas in the game. And the ones that came to mind were the ones in the starter areas. Thorns Hall, the Bree Hunting Lodge, the Matham House, and the hidden crafting area in Lorien. Um, thinking that it would be kind of cool if we'd had keys that we could have acquired to those areas as we gained an experience. As I reflected back, uh, there were other rep-gated areas in the game that did not occur to me at the time. The first one that occurred to me is Callus Galadon, of course, the home of the lovely Lady Galadriel and Celeborn. And uh, the reason that it came to mind was, uh, I swear, every, I don't know, at least once a week in-game, there's somebody who comes on World Chat and has a problem because he can't access the rope <laughs> to get in. The rope that was provided, uh, for those of you who have not been with the game for several years now, um, the rope was provided as a workaround for people who didn't want to grind Lorien Rep, but needed to access Kallus Galadon uh, in order to complete uh, quests in the epic storyline. So a rope was strung down on the left-hand side of the gate for those who had not met the uh, criteria to enter Kallus Galadon to, to access just for the purposes of the epic story. And uh, folks seemed to forget or... Now that um, there was a natural mechanism to keep people in that didn't have rep uh, originally when hunters would shoot you down for approaching. Uh, but, uh, you know, now there's no such constraint. So people approach the gates of Galadon without the reputation in order to be able to enter. And that is a, a very typical um, misunderstood section of the game. I guess maybe they need to hang a sign next to the rope that says... Uh, uh, no strangers allowed, or certainly no dwarves, unfortunately. Uh, another gated area of the game, the Mirkwood Prologue, uh, the gate that provides access to the rest of the Mirkwood map, which is only finishable, only accessible after you finish the Mirkwood Prologue. Uh, there's an empty room in Standguard, which is covered with webs and I believe has some some mice and some other stuff scurrying about in there that is only accessible once you reach Kindred in that game. Uh, kind of a letdown, finally achieving that and finding nothing inside, but um, nonetheless. Two new areas in Western Gondor that had server-wide unlocks, obviously, sections of the Pass of the Dead, as well as a cave entrance east of Dol Amroth. And there are also some epic quest-linked doors, uh, for example, in Garth Forthnir and Angmar, that are only accessible when you have the epic quest that will allow you entry. There's one also that comes to mind in the last homely house in Rivendell, um, and even within Moria. Um, before some of the new dungeons were created, like the Waterworks, uh, there were gates in the game that uh, read that they were only accessible by level 100 characters or over. Well, now we're at level 100, so if they hadn't done something with those, we would have been able to get in. Uh, but I think the Halls of Crafting, as well as the Waterworks instance, were sealed off at one point, and if you moused over the doors, it said uh, level 100 for entry required. So I like the air of mystery, mystery and ex exclusivity around some of the hidden rooms in the game uh, the Burden Baby Inn uh, in League Room as well is another one that comes to mind I just want to get in there I want to see what's going on with it uh, one of the 
similar desire I had to uh, the first time I would run any new instance in the game uh, where I just really wanted to make sure I'd seen everything there was to see. So I enjoy those. I hope they will continue. There hasn't been one in a while that I can think of apart from the server-wide locked gated areas. Um, so I hope they will continue to do that. There's one more, you know, they're looking for ways to keep players involved and grinding uh, in some manner to get access to a new area of the game uh, is, I think, uh, you know, something that is a bit of a change of pace in some cases. Uh, apart from that, from viewer comment perspective, it's been pretty quiet. Nobody complaining about my volume on the podcast or my dwarven... <coughs> Uh, etiquette or manners. So, in this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in the game these past few weeks, as always. We're going to review the details of the producer's letter, of course, and discuss some of the feedback in-game and on the forums. Lastly, we're going to make some predictions for 2015. A top 10 list of predictions, in fact. And yes, mine are coming out after the producer's letter. I found that a little bit easier. Lastly, at the end of the podcast, we have a special treat, a best of Clips Retrospective from 2014. We're going to call it Best of the Beacons, Volume 1. So as you can see, there's much to do. Let us move on to our next beacon. Nardal. This week in gaming and other Tokian news. First of all, the Christmas season has passed. And as ever, there were Tokian and Middle-Earth-related presents under the tree. Not as many as perhaps in years past, but still a few choice items. First of all, the Desolation of Smog Extended Edition was uh, received. We have not yet had time to pour our way through the additional uh, scenes and content in there. Uh, I believe it's at least 20 minutes of new material. I did see a clip of one scene out on the interwebs uh, related to the crossing of the um, Enchanted Stream in Mirkwood, which I was sorry to see left out of the original cut. So looking forward to seeing that. Uh, when I have viewed all the extended material, I'll try to comment here and let you know what I thought. But for usual, uh, the Tolkien enthusiasts will enjoy the additional background and storytelling, I'm sure. I got a new copy of a Lord of the Rings book by one of the little hobbits in the house. Gave that to his dad. I have to say that the old ones were definitely dog-eared and uh, coming apart in some cases. So looking forward to perhaps a new, a fresh read in the coming year. It's been a few years since I've been through the, um, the original novels. So I can see that perhaps being on the slate for 2015. I did receive an amazing-looking smog puzzle, 1,000 pieces, that... Uh, should occupy some rainy afternoons at some point. It's uh, not a cutscene from the movie. It's uh, some original art. I'll have to take a closer look at it. I think it might be um, perhaps uh, from the original, some of the original Hildebrand Brothers uh, illustrations. Hildebrand Brothers, for some of you, uh, may remember that uh, they were perhaps amongst the most respected uh, or highly sought after Tokian illustrators. Uh, back in the day, and uh, I had uh, quite a few calendars um, with their uh, depictions of Middle-earth and Lord of the Rings, um, and some of my favorite artists that have ever uh, worked with Tolkien as well. Uh, definitely kind of a distinctive style, and uh, they had their footprint on many fantasy um, novels of the, of the day. 
Uh, it also brought a few T-shirts for some of the young hobbits in the house. One that read, uh, "One should not simply walk into Mo- one cannot simply walk into Mordor," and another that uh, uh, a depiction of Gandalf's famous line, "Thou shall not pass." So all in all, a, a modest haul. A few uh, always love to see a few LOTR-inspired gifts under the tree. Um, in addition to that, I've been uh, experimenting with some other games on my iPad, which received an upgrade. Uh, I did download Hearthstone uh, after hearing much about it, and I can't say I've played some of these turn-based card games previously, so I don't have a lot of experience coming in. It's about what I expected in playing through the tutorial. Uh, I find it mildly engaging. I think I'll stick with it for a little bit to see where it goes. Um, I have to say, for that genre, it appears to be uh, fairly well done in terms of graphics, voiceovers, and uh, complexity of the different cards that can be played. So I'll experiment with that a little bit and see where it goes. Uh, My favorite new pick uh, recommendation for early 2015, I was reading through some of the the App Store uh, recommendations for Games of the Year in 2014 on the iPad, and I came across one called The Room 2, so it was a sequel. Uh, The Room 2 was priced at, I think, $3.99. Uh, normally, I like to find great games on the iPad for a dollar or free. <laughs> I have made exceptions to that, but there's plenty of good material out there that is mighty cheap. So I went and looked up the original The Room title, which I believe came out in perhaps 2013, and it was, lo and behold, 99 cents. So I downloaded it and got quite a few hours of, uh, well, at least a few hours of very engaging gameplay out of it. Uh, for those of you who haven't played it before, The Room is a, is a puzzle-based game. Uh, the graphics are very good. You, you manipulate a series of objects in order to get to the heart of a mystery in an old house. And uh, it's very atmospheric. There's nice sound effects. There's uh, kind of a story that goes with the puzzles. The puzzles them- themselves are, are uh, just a nice mix of complexity. There's nothing too obvious, nothing that's so stumping that you have to go out and look on the web for hints. Um, it leads you through, but in, in a very engaging way. And the graphics and interactions of the objects and the puzzles are very well done. So for a dollar, I got a lot of entertainment out of it and highly recommend it to you uh, for those who like that sort of game. Uh, I did pop into Star Trek Online this past uh, couple weeks. And lo and behold, found out that I was a member of what turns out to be a very active kin. <laughs> I had quite a few emails built up from officers and from fleet admirals talking about rules and regulations around uh, accessing, um, you know, fleet uh, banks and contributing items and building up credits and and uh, helping with training and events and so forth. And um, in that game, I'm almost to level 20, so I'm currently a lieutenant commander, and I think at level 20, you get the next kind of major promotion upgrade including a new duty officer um, so I'll probably push for that to do that over the next couple of weeks just to reach that milestone but I still have to say I have no, no idea what I should be doing in this game so you know I've, I've outfitted some of my ships and duty officers with gear based on whatever I happen to be doing I just I just don't know what I should be doing I kind of bumble around the universe uh, finding different quests or planets and Sometimes I run into things that are way over my head, too difficult, and I have to back out and go somewhere else. Uh, sometimes the stuff is easy. 
Um, you know, I always report in for Starfleet and get some XP, but, you know, what it seems to be lacking to me, and, and maybe at NCAP it's a lot easier to follow when they have the episodes coming out that you can access, but I, I really miss having what Lotro would call an epic quest line to kind of direct you and kind of bring you to the areas of the game that are appropriate for your level and expose you to some new things that maybe you hadn't seen before in a very kind of measured fashion. And, uh, you know, I bet Star Trek Online probably has some mechanisms f to direct you that I'm just missing out on. But right now I'll continue to bumble around the universe and uh, decide whether or not I want to be more active in that game eventually. Um, the Hobbit. The Battle of Five Armies. I did get a second viewing in over the last few weeks since we spoke last. Uh, second time around, um, this time in 3D. Uh, I th thought the 3D was was a bit innocuous, which is the way I like it. So I think it added a bit to the movie. Um, you know, would I say it's superior? No, but I, I do enjoy it when it's done well, when it's not being kind of thrust in your face. And, uh, you know, it's certainly the kind of movie with uh, the landscape and backgrounds and textures that uh, can benefit from uh, 3D that's done well and that uh, gives an added dimension to the screen. Uh, so second time around, you know, I'm, I definitely wasn't as awestruck with the movie. I, I got, uh, was more able to kind of absorb more details around the screen. You know, the second time through, I, I do tend to look at background details of the scenes that I might have missed before, try to catch nuances in the performances that I hadn't seen. And I have to say, I enjoyed it the second time around just as much. Um, I, I think the movie, although many will complain, is not a a good representation of the tone and spirit of the original Hobbit book. It's still a good, ripping good yarn uh, with lots of eye candy um, and uh, lots of lore embedded for those who are looking for it. It's well-crafted, and I think it's the probably the best of the three Hobbit movies in terms of pacing, tone, and emotional impact of the performances. So uh, I gave a review previously on the movie. just want to say I had seen it a second time. I'm sure it'll be around for another month or two in theaters if I feel like going again. Who knows? We'll see. Will they never get enough of my money? Certainly not. Okay. Um, something that struck me as I was watching the movie that I didn't uh, remember from the first time out. Is there a lore precedent for the giant boar worms that dig tunnels into the valley surrounding Erebor to unleash Azog's armies kind of in a surprise fashion. Um, so they certainly make quite an entrance into the movie. Um, Jackson decided not to involve them in the fisticuffs that followed, which is probably a good move since they might have um, overshadowed some of the other participants. Um, I don't remember, even in the Silmarillion, there necessarily being a lore precedent for what I'm calling the boar worms. Now, certainly, we know that uh, Morgoth and Sauron had some strange creatures in the armies that were described as Tolkien, you know, unleashing the foul creatures of Angband or Mordor in various circumstances, uh, with various Balrogs spewing forth and dragons, and, and even in some... Uh, in some areas, mentions of vampires and werewolves in the lore. But I don't remember any precedent of discussion of boar worms. 
um, in Tokian lore. So I'm wondering if that's a Jackson embellishment or if there is some basis for it that I don't remember. So if you're listening to this podcast and you can cite something from the books or the appendices that indicate the existence of the boar worms, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, Jackson certainly likes to love his lampreys characters. Uh, the other link being that you may remember that some giant lampreys killed Gollum or Andy Circus in the role of the cook in King Kong in rather gruesome fashion. So he does seem to like his, uh, his critters. Um, and lastly, as I was watching the end of the movie and watching to the end credits, obviously, to catch uh, all the music and uh, all the references that I enjoy uh, looking at the credits and the number of people involved in the production, um, you know, my, my young hobbits were asking me if there was perhaps a, a short scene at the end of the credits that I was aware of, and I said, no, there's not, but wouldn't it have been a nice touch if you had seen the hand of Gollum reaching out from a cave entrance in the Misty Mountains right at the end. Um, you know, I know there's enough ties to the movies that follow, but, you know, Gollum emerging uh, to seek the ring, you know, following the events of The Hobbit is uh, certainly a good table setter for the action that's to come. Um, so, and, uh, you know, perhaps a quick appearance for Gollum since he only appeared in the central movie of the trilogy. I don't know. I thought it would have been a nice touch. Missed opportunity there. All right, let's get to Lotro. What have I been doing? Well, first of all, the Winter Carnival was still going on uh, until today, actually, is the time of this recording. And I had still been sacking away the presents. Um, you know, it's an easy, mindless thing to do when you're watching something else or doing something to log in on each character, run a quick crest and quest and grab your sack of presents to see if you get anything decent. And uh, actually, in the last week, I've had some more luck and was uh, getting some fairly decent rewards. Uh, I probably secured at least three or four stat tombs over the last two weeks for some of my tunes, and most of them level one or level two, so it could be used immediately for some of the alts that uh, don't have those. So those are always exciting things to get out of there. Uh, I've got one or two IXP uh, enhancement runes, which are a nice change of pace. And then the usual usual Drek. Um, also, as part of uh, my daily activities, was running out to cheer the snow beasts, which is one of the quicker quests to turn around if you're doing dailies in the Winter Festival. And uh, in the course of doing those cheers, um, had achieved apparently the hidden deed for... Uh, I think it's 100, 100 cheers in the game, or 200, in order to retrieve the fire breath emote so if you're doing three cheers a day on snow beasts you can build those up over time and you can work on that fire breath emote deed now this changed a few years back you some of the folks that have been around may remember at least as far as i can recall it that um in order to achieve the hidden deeds in the game for cheering laughing saluting and ju um what's the last one um cheering laughing, juggling, and saluting. Um, people had to do those things to your character. So it, it was very socially interactive if you were in a, in a fellowship waiting for um, an instance to start or if you were with your kin at an event, you could sit there and trade those back and forth until you reached your daily limit in order to try to work on those hidden deeds. Um, so now apparently uh, if you 
do a cheer to others, it also counts against the count. So this is kind of more of the solofication of the game to make those uh, more accessible or achievable. And uh, believe it or not, Bragg still lacks one of those hidden deeds. Uh, it's only laughing now that he needs in order to be able to earn the juggle emote. So it only took six or seven years to track down those first three. And uh, if I can make a fool of myself enough in-game, hopefully I'll receive the juggle emote sometime shortly. Would be nice to get that done. Speaking of Bragg, he has completed Kindred Rep with both Labinin and Pilargear since last we spoke. Again, the capstone quest was fairly quick once found for the Labinan area. Um, it's a, and kind of a mini spoiler, I'll mention that it involves a so long to one of our favorite characters, Jajax. And I did like the text that was involved and the sentiment that was involved in seeing him on his way, although I was sorry to see him go. would have been fun to kind of collect him and have him make an appearance and or... Uh, an impact uh, on the fields of the Pelennor. Um, I did also complete the treasure cache deed uh, that was out there. And uh, with those things, I have only three Slayer deeds left to complete the entire region. And uh, most of those are about halfway through the advanced section already. So uh, I probably see myself uh, grabbing a Slayer boost at some point in the next week or two and slamming through those remaining Slayer deeds in order to have a clean deed log for the region. Um, I did manage to do that in Western Gondor as well. And um, until we've got new content, one must keep oneself busy. And uh, at the end of the day, there's a loot box at least. Um, certainly the big prize was as I finished the rep with Labinin and the final capstone quest for that area, I received uh, the title of Vanguard of Central Gondor, which includes a first stage legendary item. So, um, I was considering giving it to Bragg. Uh, he has a first age uh, weapon, as some of you might remember from, I believe, one of his big battle runs. Uh, but uh, his belt is still only 95, uh, second age 95. However, looking through some of my tunes, I noticed that my minstrel had... Um, not only was her book still not level 100, it was actually a level 85 first age. So 15 levels is a much bigger improvement over the five levels I would have gotten increasing uh, Bragg's uh, belt. Or actually, I think he has a second age 100 level belt. So really the upgrade for him would be fairly minimal compared to upgrading my minstrel book. So I went ahead and did that for my minstrel. Um, had to swap out a few legacies to get the ones that I want, but I did receive an extra... Um, an extra gold or uh, major legacy uh, with the IDs, uh, which, including with a crystal of remembrance, which I had stowed up, allows five major legacies on that item, um, which is a nice foundation to have, given that I'm not planning on ever de deconstructing that item again. Uh, with the imbuement announcements that's coming out, that one should be able to stick with me. So I feel a lot more... Uh, inclined to consider applying Crystals of Remembrance, Scrolls of Delving, and Scrolls of Empowerment on my level 100 first stage weapons if and as they are acquired. I did cave in on Bragg and buy some big battle uh, jewelry. Um, I had the Stars of Merit and I was kind of saving them to see maybe I will use them on some other tunes, but I just caved and bought them for Bragg. And uh, 
I got two additional pieces um, of first stage jewelry based on the Stars of Merit. That's uh, 750 total, I think, or 700 between them. Um, and those two additional big battle pieces got me uh, a set bonus, which gives plus 10% bleed for guards. And given how bleed heavy the current setup is for my uh, red traded guard, um, I think that will come in mighty handy indeed, at least when I'm soloing. And uh, maybe even in some other circumstances, uh, such as in the Moors, etc. Uh, my Bjorning is now level 53 and moving through the Moria Epic line plus. So I am definitely kind of carving through the Epic and uh, finding a few extra quests on the sides. Um, he has reached the 21st Hall and the Chamber of Command there and started on the path that will hopefully lead me to the main reason I'm doing the Mori Epic at this point, which is to unlock the skirmishes uh, which come and that which follow on Mirkwood as well. So uh, level 53, he's coming in nicely, and I'm hoping in the next week or so I can get him into the Forgotten Treasury and perhaps even some Grand Stairs runs soon. Uh, no love for my Cappy. Uh, my Minstrel is getting queued to re-engage for Central Gondor. Don't know if I have the heart to grind everything to get another first age symbol uh, with Kindred Rep in all those areas, but I think I might do it on one more tune. We'll see what else comes along the way. Loremaster, Silent, Hunter, Burglar, Warden, Champ. Um, most of those leveled at least once and some of them twice during the Winter Festival, which is exciting. My RK actually reached level 39 and picked up his class quest books, which is exciting. I hadn't planned on moving him into any of the areas anytime soon where he could acquire those pages, but um, who knows? Might be tempted at some point. Uh, definitely going to stay on the Bjorning for leveling right now. One last activity that I've been taking up recently is to... Um, I don't know why I'm doing this. I guess it's out of a sense of, of duty and honor, but... Uh, I did notice that I had about 160, 170 Fangorn leaves sitting on my main character, Bragg. And, uh, you know, nothing really that I want to spend those on anymore unless I acquired enough of them to get a Huorn pet. So I have been monkeying around uh, with doing a few of the quests in Dern Dingle again to see how quickly I could generate some of those additional leaves. And, uh, you know, the pets are piling up pretty quickly in this game, I have to admit. I've already got... A Grim, a Cave Claw, uh, two Swans, <laughs> and uh, an Aurochs. Uh, some of the ones in the new area I think are a little silly. Have a Ship Rat or some Sand Flies following you around. Um, no frogs yet for me, but uh, I may see if I can pick up a Huorn. Um, actually, when I opened up Lesamisa's gift box today, I was excited briefly for a second when I saw that I had a black Huorn with Honeycomb icon sitting there. It's the first time I'd ever gotten anything but leaves out of any of those boxes. Uh, but then I did notice that it was unfortunately a yard item <laughs> and uh, and not a, uh, a cosmetic pet, which is unfortunate. But we will keep plugging away and perhaps we'll have a tree following us at some point in time or another. That is clearly enough of that. Let us move on to our fourth beacon. That would be Aralas. 
And Aralas really has really only one topic that can be of interest to most, and that is the producer's letter for Lotro for 2015. And before I start talking about the producer's letter, I will note that many of the other podcasts that are available and certainly forums and blog posts out there aplenty have already commented on the producer's letter. So I'm not going to go through and read it in detail, and I'm going to try not to go over all the points that I've heard in various other items, but I'll try to react to some of those points and maybe add my own spin. And we won't spend too much time, I think. Some of you may be getting sick of the speculation around the producer's letter at this point. So first of all, uh, one of the things that I think uh, you know most people caught but has more impact in my view than I think people are giving it credit for, uh, Rowan's departure. So Rowan's letter announcing his departure from Loto came out right before the producer's letter. And I was very sad to see this uh, for two reasons. One... Um, Vivian Peters, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt, but she's an unknown quantity. And the second reason is Rowan was a known quantity and one that I felt gave a refreshing change of direction from the previous leadership. Uh, I don't know Kate Paez personally, and uh, I'm sure she's probably a nice person. And she probably tried very hard at her job, but I took a very dim view of her lack of communications regarding um, the future direction of the game. And uh, I felt like Turbine, uh, under her direction, at least for Lotro, uh, took a few steps back in terms of their interactions with the players and communications regarding the game. It may not have been her fault. Obviously, there were layoffs that were going on during that time frame, but it was still a step back. And um, in lacking another target, I will say that it colored my perception of the job that she was doing. Uh, whereas when Rowan came back, I noticed an immediate energy, an immediate... Uh, uh, reignition of engagement with the community and, um, you know, an improvement all around in that area. And so I was sorry to see Rowan go. Um, I'm glad to hear that Vivian Peters, Athena, is a veteran of DDO, uh, so has been with Turbine for some time, hopefully has a proven track record, and um, as others noted, was excited to see her with at least three or four posts in the day or two following the producer's letter, chiming in on the thread, showing that she is willing to step in and engage with the community as well. So very excited to hear that. Uh, wetting my dwarven whistle. Thank you. So second point. Um, I will say that this producer's letter was better than the one that we received last year. Uh, certainly better than the one from the year before that. But... I still find them woefully lacking in comparison to some of the other producers' letters I've seen for games out there in the industry. Uh, I don't have a lot of comparisons to make, but I, I read through enough, I think I, I looked at at least two or three, to really get a feel for the fact that Lotro is coming up short in this area, in my, in my opinion. Um, one of the ones I read was... Uh, a recent producer's letter that came out for The Secret World, which I dabble in occasionally. And this is a quarterly letter that The Secret World does, not an annual letter, a quarterly letter. And their quarterly letter had way more in information and just general sentiment around the producer's vision for the game than we're seeing in the letters from Lotro. I remember two years ago when I saw uh, the Lotro producer's letter compared to one from DDO. DDO, same company, Turbine. 
and uh, the DDO letter had just so much more, uh, you know, the, the community is dying for these details, right? Give us a reason to believe that Lotro will be around for years to come, that our voices are being heard, and that there's interesting and exciting gameplay on the way, and we will stick with you. And I do think that the Lotro producer's letter may be briefer than others because of a concern that um, that things outside of their control, like budget cuts and staff cuts, might impact their ability to fulfill the vision in the letter. And if that's the case, then that's a sad state of affairs to be afraid to say something because you're not sure if you're going to be able to deliver on it. Um, you know, it would be nice to have more reassurance than that. So I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case, but I certainly think it's a possibility that it could be. There's a reason that things are vague, and there's a reason that um, they say things like, we're in strongly investigating the possibility of a new PvP map. Um, because they know that if additional staff or budget cuts come, they're not going to have the bandwidth to do those fun things, and it's more important to do a quality job on Minas Tirith and Esquiliath than it is to add that detail as exciting as it would be for a good portion of the community. So, our story does continue in 2015 with Osgiliath and Minas Tirith. Uh, Minas Tirith, um, Osgiliath, as soon as potentially June, so four or five months away, um, you know, I'm expecting it to be fairly large. Um, I don't know where it would rank in actuality in the lore in terms of a comparison with Dol Amroth, but I would think it would be on that level of magnitude and maybe larger, maybe on the order of a Pilar gear um, in terms of size and scope. And I certainly think it would be a fun area to question if it was as complex as some of the areas of Pilar gear, um, and certainly to, to PvP in. But Osgiliath that is exciting. Um, they do mention multiple updates throughout the year, with two major releases being Osgiliath and Minas Tirith. So we can hopefully expect some minor system tweaks here and there in between those. I'd be okay if those were the only two releases all year, as long as they were extensive and did those two areas justice. The most important thing they can do in 2015 is to nail Minas Tirith. And I'm not talk just talking about the physical structure. That's a challenge enough. I'm talking about the soul of Minas Tirith, the detail, the, the lore, the background, the little touches that are hidden until you look a second and third time and, uh, and find the beauty behind it or find the little storylines uh, within the structure of the people that live there that give it spirit. Uh, that is what I'm expecting out of Minas Tirith if they do a quality job. Um, I've seen some of that in Gondor, but perhaps lacking from previous releases and expansions. Okay, so what else is a hot topic? Legendary items that can be imbued going forward level 100. Would love to have seen this on level 50 items, but... Um, glad to see it at least for level 100. It isn't to say it can't be back ported to lower level items in the future. Um, the way they're talking about the details of the system leads me to believe that it's going to be more than just imbuing it so that it'll grow with item levels. Uh, it leads me to believe there might be some additional depth to it that uh, maybe you can broaden the functionality of it once it reaches level cap. Um, you know, you can t continue to, to pour IXP ruins into it perhaps to increase a dimension of it that uh, didn't exist before. Now, I know that means complexity, <laughs> uh, 
which uh, the LI system has enough of by all accounts from a lot of people in the game. But it would be cool to see you be able to grow the power of the weapon over time through a simple mechanic um, as long as you didn't have to deconstruct and recreate it uh, at every turn. So uh, that's good. New fellowship challenges obviously is, is the heart of the news that I think people will be most excited about. Um, expect new instances in this Gilead. Three mans and six mans have been noted, although um, how many of each would only be speculation. But based on the comments, I would hope for something along the lines of three three mans and at least one six man. Two six mans would be a huge bonus, but hopefully at least one really solid one. And the twists and turns of Osgiliath could be a nice change of pace that could be a little different for some of those. Um, roaming threats on the landscape, yeah, not that excited. Uh, I thought, you know, if the rewards were good, they would have been much more hunted on my server, but it was very hard to find groups to find them or that were willing to go look for them because, um, you know, taking down a three million count mob and getting two reputation items out of it is not my idea of a fair reward uh, for the amount of effort that goes into that. Quality of life issues, yes, I would hope so. Um, if these are targeted for some of the major items that were collected in Freelorn's latest posts, um, that could involve some exciting stuff. So um, hopefully that will be the focus and they can knock off some of those persistent items that have been bugging folks. I'll be happy to see that, although... I wouldn't uh, be willing to give up additional area content at this point for those items. Episodic content was perhaps the wild card of the announcement. Um, I think these this is exciting. I, I like the idea of them taking us back to um, familiar places in Middle Earth with new twists, i.e. new stories to tell and, and new folks to meet. And uh, I think if done well, that could um, you know help bring people periodically back to the game every few weeks to do a little snippet of an of an episodic content um, that we you know perhaps doesn't take as much effort because it's in areas that have already been built but you know adds new interest to some of those areas I enjoyed going back to those areas for the in their absence quests even for the gray hammers killing a goblin in every zone <laughs> uh, bounty quests that took us back to old areas things of that nature and if they can make them a little more engaging from a story standpoint all the better so i'm excited of those things as long as they can keep them up and not let them drop by the wayside um, if other priorities arise um, server populations this has been maybe one of the most contentious uh, points of concern from folks i think most people are excited by it um, most people are excited about the prospect of being able to do a free transfer uh, from a server that they didn't want to spend the money to move from and perhaps lose wardrobe items and medallions and uh, you know housing items and all those other things. So it sounds like they're improving the migration tech to make sure that more of your character is intact. Um, that's exciting. It sounds like there'll be free transfers available for those who want them. And it sounds like the comments at least point to me that uh, some of the servers that will be the larger servers that will be left over will be uh, having hardware upgrades. So they haven't said specifically that they hope that these hardware upgrades will help address some of the lag issues in the game that some people experience, but that is my hope. You know, there's two big things coming out of this news. 
moving EU servers back to the EU and hardware upgrades for some of the remaining servers that uh, you know will have larger populations after consolidation, those two things imply to me that there could be some impact for folks who are experiencing lag or other um, you know other performance problems with their units. Now, I would say half the people out there, uh, you know, certainly that we know there's server side problems with lag. Half the people that complain complain about lag issues in the game, though, you know, aren't looking closely enough at their own setups. So there are real problems out there, but I think there's also a lot of chafe from people crying wolf um, that don't have a good video card or don't have their settings set up right, etc. It's a mix. Um, but so turbine can't address all those things, but I think they can um, they can help. These things can help. So I'm excited to see if there is any impact to some of these hardware upgrades that might come from the consolidations. Really the only downside I've seen from the uh, news about the server populations is there are some folks that would prefer to stay on a low-pop server that may be forced to move eventually. And uh, I do feel badly for them if that's how they feel about things, but um, I do think that the, you know, the large majority... Uh, of players will be excited by the moves and it's unfortunate that they can't accommodate everybody but I do feel that this is something that has enough weight behind it enough positive impact you know the needs of the many are going to outweigh the needs of the few or the one or the elves so um, that's my take on the server consolidations uh, there is a little bit of a sky is falling syndrome that comes from that People thinking mergers means the game's on its last legs, but um, I don't think that has to be the case. I think it can help, at least in this iteration. So I'm hoping they improve the tech, I'm hoping they improve the hardware, and I'm hoping they handle the communications around this well so that it doesn't become a contentious issue. PVMP. Uh... This would make the perfect platform for a gradual improvement to the PVMP experience overall. We'll provide additional updates on this initiative as we get deeper into 2015. So certainly this appears to be a second half of the year priority. Um, hopefully they're keeping potential for PVMP in mind as they develop the initial Osgiliath map. I'm sure they are. Um, I'm excited about the mention of it being perhaps the baseline for gradual improvements to the PVMP experience. Um, I do think there's a fair number of people that would come back to the game to enjoy PVMP on a new map, at least, at least initially. It might not last forever, but I think it could breathe some new life into it in the game. Um, I think this is an area that could make some money for Turbine, actually, um, for, uh, Freep and creep upgrades and and uh, general PVP uh, items. Uh, so hopefully they would recoup at least some of the costs that would come from that. And um, it would be fun to see some old players come back that we haven't seen in a long time. Some names that were that were big and were totally committed and were probably got burnt out, but uh, you know maybe are are ready to uh, to reignite things for at least some time. So. So I'm for one, I hear a lot of skepticism, you know, kind of I'll, I'll uh, believe it when I see it type of attitude regarding this. And I understand that, uh, but I'm actually optimistic. I, I think they're going to make it happen. You may remember a number of episodes ago, I predicted that a Zgiliath PMVP map would be something that would be, um, would be something that would be coming that I had 
some some faith in, and I still believe they're going to try to make it happen. Uh, so unless there are additional staff cuts, that's one of my pre-predictions for 2015 is I think they're going to come through on this one. And that will be exciting. Um, so what are the other biggest points of concerns coming out of the producer's letter? Well, there's still no raid. They said, us, it's not the right setting for a raid. It's not the right time in the story to focus um, resources on building a raid. So I don't think the former is true. I think the latter is probably true. I think they have enough on their plate nailing us, Gilead and Minas Tirith, and building an instance cluster that they don't really have time to do a raid. And I'd rather not see them do, you know, a half half butt job on the raid, um, you know, and make it like something from Erebor. Uh, I'd rather see them do the raid that everybody wants, uh, you know, an Ostan Hoth, Tower of Orthanc type experience. So uh, I am hopeful that a raid cluster will come about uh, when we reach Mordor. That, I think, is the right setting for it. And uh, who doesn't want a 12-man Shelob raid in Sirith Ungol? Think of the players that would come back to, to, to get engaged with that. Um, what else? The other big things I saw on the forums are, are you addressing itemization? And itemization is not something that was laid out in the producer's letter specifically, but I do think they're taking a strong look at it. You know, with each new area that they come out with, they do have to do that. Uh, but I think people are more concerned about, you know, let's incent players to go back and do the instance content that we have. Let's make it more exciting through good rewards. Because one thing that's been proven in Lotro's history is that if you put the rewards there, people will go do it. <laughs> people are running big battles, for goodness sake, because the jewelry is the best in the game. <laughs> so they found a way to make that work. Um, itemization is something I think is important to the future of the game. So hopefully there is some focus on that uh, as part of these initiatives. And I think everything else has really been said. Um, overall, I was excited about the 2015 initiatives. There were a few um, twists and turns in there, some surprises. And really, you know, people look at the server consolidation, potential server consolidation as a, as a potential negative for the game. Um, you know, populations are shrinking. But I look at, at it as a little bit of a safety valve. I mean, would they really be moving servers back to uh, Europe? and doing hardware upgrades if they were thinking on pulling the plug within the next year? I don't think so. So uh, that to me is a reassuring note. Um, I think we've got several more years of low troll that are expected based on uh, based on reading between the lines in the producer's letter. And we're going to make the best of them. That is enough serious producer's letter stuff. I will make a final plea to Lodro to consider more frequent producer's letter updates than what we've been getting. And um, if those communications take the form of dev diaries talking in more detail about what's coming, all the better. Love uh, was excited to hear them talking about dev diaries coming up in 2015. That, to me, is exciting content and more engagement with the community. Yay, Lodro! <laughs> Our fifth beacon, Min Rimon. Now a word from our sponsors. New to the podcast this week. Are you looking for the trendiest new venue for your birthday party, kinship celebration, or musical festival? Or just want to hang out with your pals underground on a Sunday night? Come check out Dragox Laser Tag Emporium. 
located conveniently adjacent to Thror's Croom in Endedwaith. Dragok's Laser Tag Emporium is the hottest new place for fellowship fun. Scatter like rats and hide in your maze while blasting your friends. Scorch your enemies until nothing remains. Open during construction and carcass removal with two-for-one deals on all scales. Insolent Worm Wednesdays, Wednesdays feature free play for burglars with FM coupons. So come on down to Dragox Laser Tag Emporium, where your lives are just a trifle in our presence. Note, Dragox Laser Tag Emporium not responsible for bugouts, errors, or resets. Some restrictions may apply. Should not be conducted in conjunction with non-English-speaking pugs. Consult your doctor if you experience a raid lasting longer than four hours. Uh, him. Yes, well, uh, let's move on to Callanhad. Now that we've read the producer's letter, you've probably been hearing a lot of talk around Lotro uh, for predictions for 2015. I'm not one to issue predictions before the producer's letter. That's boring. Anyone can do that. I'm issuing my predictions after the producer's letters just to keep things exciting. So let's go right now to my top 10 list of predictions for Lotro in 2015. Number 10. The return of Rook riding his Avank with the Rohirrim across the Pelennor fields. Number nine, episodic content. Nona stars in a new TV series called Real Wives of Dunland. Its theme song, Awoo, Real Wives of Dunland. Awoo. I saw Nona walking with the queen, and her hair was perfect. Awoo, Real Wives of Dunland enough of that. Number eight, a new PVMP map fought on the mining tracks atop the Pit of Iron outside Isengard. Number seven, the ultimate group content, a warband featuring a roving threat inside a new raid instance embedded in a skirmish wrapped in an epic battle. Number six, all itemization to be replaced by additional rolls in the Hobbit's present slot machine. Jackpot is three universal power potions and a rally horn. Number five, quality of life improvements will include discontinuation of the form pages. Number four, mounted combat to include war pigs, a la Dane. Number three, character transfers to be controlled via the mail system. Additional postage fees may apply to EU servers. Number two, legendary item imbuement will be accessible immediately to all characters level 101 and up. Also a new PVMP map, raid, music system overhaul, housing revamp, and lag fixes. All for levels 101 and up. Enjoy. And number one. New executive producers to be named in 2015 will include Saul Zance, Andang, Rick Heaton, Rowan, again, Horse Dev, Leonor the Pantsless One, Kim Jong-il, and the Tooth Fairy. That's it. My predictions for 2010. 2015, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, we'll do what all the other podcasts do. At the end of the year, we'll read back through the predictions and see how we did. And, uh, you know, we'll score ourselves, and I'll find a way to give myself uh, 10 points out of 10, like all the other podcasters do, even though they're not even close. And speaking of being not even close, we are close to quitting time. <laughs> Segway from hell. Hellifurion, it's time for Blessed Relief. It brings us to the end of the 24th episode of Light the Beacons. Looking forward to our quarterennial, yes, I made that word up, next time out. I'd like to promise something special for it, but you know me, probably not. Too much effort. I'd love to hear your plaudits, feedbacks, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique, however. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's Bragg with two A's. The second A stands for Avogadro's number. 
on Facebook or Twitter at Bragson of Bowen. My website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. And I kindly request that you take the time to create an iTunes review if perhaps you're so inclined. I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my dwarven apathy, which is legendary, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So, I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you raged on the forums day and night regarding all the shortcomings of the producer's letter. And I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before or looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. Most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, son of Balin, signing off and recommending an element of reasonable uh, equanimity and balance for all. Baruch Kazad, and remember... The next time you're tiptoeing through a pack of wolves in Stoneheight with Leroy Jenkins in your small fellowship, don't despair. Light the beacons. Outro. So, as we promised, we have a very special segment to the outro for the podcast this week. I went back through all of our 24 episodes of 2014, selected clips from all the best beacon moments of 2014. So this is my way of saying thank you to all the listeners and viewers out there, and you know you're not listeners, um, that have stuck with me through 24 episodes. And uh, I really do appreciate it. It's been a fun ride so far. Hoping for continued uh, lack of dwarven apathy in 2015 and uh, hoping that you'll all stay tuned. So here we are. All the best song parodies, biggest laughs, coolest top ten lists, most insightful commentary, and of course, most clever advertisements. Anything that I felt elevated the podcast above the basis level of drivel imaginable, and I have compiled them all for your listening pleasure. I look forward to generating more top-quality content like this for you in 2015. So without further ado, here's Volume 1 of The Best of the Beacons, 2014.